When things get darkest, we must be our brightest. We must love our hardest. You're listening to Better, and I'm your host, Mark Brand. I deeply believe that everyone has the power to leave the planet a better place than they found it. In my decades of frontline work, I've seen it happen against all odds in the toughest corners of the world. This show was created as a guide to share stories of resilience and hope from the brightest individuals who have overcome challenges we all face to help us all envision and build a better life. Every week, my incredible guests and I will give you access to the conversations we've been having behind closed doors, away from stages, and away from traditional media. Until now, we share this space with the explicit intention to empower you to be your biggest, brightest, most beautiful self, so we can build a better world together. Welcome to Better. Folks, welcome back to Better. It is my distinct pleasure today to have my colleague, one of my best friends, to, to be very frank, and counterpart in climate justice, Sara Reversi, founder, president, CEO of the Future Food Institute. And her resume is so long. When we think that we're talking about regenerative agriculture, we're talking about food security, food sovereignty, Sarah has been talking about these things for over a decade. So as it's new to many people at home, it's not new to her. And she's been on the front line of this fight, and I'm very, very proud to have us have her with us here today. Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Also, on this Earth Day is the third time that we are celebrating Earth Day together. It is, isn't it? I just got goosebumps on my arms. Check these out. It is the third third year in a row that we're doing this. Usually, I'm on your 24-hour marathon with all the climate leaders sharing about our work. And today I wanted to flip the script on you because you're always bringing me into rooms to talk about what we do on the downtown east side and globally around food waste, around employment structures. But I'm so much more interested today in your work and in how the fight is going. So when I introduced you, how do you like to introduce yourself these days? What, what are the words you like to use? Oh my goodness. Huh? Ecosystem feeder, ecosystem builder, systemic thinker, hacker, this is what we need. We are too much uh, into our silos and now we need to break the silo and start to work together as much as we can. And this is actually what we're trying to do. There's food. Food is the epicenter, but it's just our tool to connect and to heal the society, to connect people, to really start the conversation but I think that now we need uh, much more. We need an higher perspective. Indeed. And you've been working on building those perspectives for so very long. So I'd like to dig straight into that, which is with this show, we try very hard to make sure that there are pragmatic tools for everybody to be able to enact. So it's easy for us when we get in big rooms of people, when you and I are at the G20 or whether we're at UNGA and we're having conversations with climate leaders – we're all in the work. But what if I am George in rural Ontario and you know I drive bus? What can I do on a day-to-day or a week-to-week or a month-to-month to help join this fight for climate justice? This is a great question. Also because at the beginning you introduced myself saying that I'm talking about these issues since almost a decade but as you know, we love to do things on the ground with communities. So it's not just talking, but um, what you are highlighting is how much I might, how might we empower people to take action within their communities. And I think that nowadays we need to focus a lot on our mindsets. We need to change mindset at every level and to start to think in a different way, even if I am a teacher, a farmer, an activist, a professor, an aerospace engineering, but we need to think in a different way. We need to think in a circular way. We need to think about gratitude. We need to think about the golden rule. We need to think about giving back. And if you start to think about the concept of care, caring for others, and caring for your community, caring for your environment, and thinking that in a circular way, of course, everything changes. And I think that we have been, um, uh, say, I thrown into the world of circular economy too much. And the circularity 
of life needs to be, let's say, needs to go beyond the business perspective. Of course, a circular economy for many has been a great entry point because through circular economy, many industries started understanding that uh, sustainability can be also a business strategy and can become profitable and was a good starting point because at least they started seeing sustainability not just like something nice that you have to do and to put in your CSR at the end of the year, but they understood that, oh, it can be also profitable. But I think that we need to move from the concept of circular economy towards the concept of circular living. I love that. If you start to think about that, also George driving his bus, I think can change so much. Starting smiling to every person entering and maybe saying, oh, don't throw away this piece of paper. Let's clean up our street together. Just simple things. Absolutely. And so just for the folks at home, Sarah and I will speak about a bunch of different concepts in the circular economy, by definition, um, keeps resources, materials, energy, products in the economic system for as long as possible at the highest value possible. So when things are manufactured through the input of materials, labor, energy, how do we find ways to reuse those products to continue the value in the value chain? And that was a really good starting point, as Sarah said, like we have done that. We have looked at that. It's not enough. It is nowhere near enough. We know as ice shelves fall in front of our eyes that it was a great concept. It is part of the solution, but it is not the solution. So I really appreciate that frame. It's it's super important for us. And CSR is something that Sarah and I also work very closely with, which is corporate social responsibility. So there's officers, there's programs, but it's such a small amount of what the larger corporations are doing, and it's not enough. It simply isn't enough to also get to the goals that we're trying to reach. And those goals, which we're going to dive into right now, is the sustainable development goals, or as they're known, also the SDGs. And Sarah's wearing a pin right now of those SDGs. Um, And those sustainable development goals were put forth by the United Nations and lots of consultation to say, by the year 2030, we must look at the way that these things intrinsically interact in our world from poverty to pollution, et cetera, and choose the goals that we can work on directly, whether that be as organizations or individuals or corporations. And if we are able to do all of these things, we may be able to stop um, the great, great climate change that's in front of us. So with the SDGs, it, it being a guide for us, Sarah, when you say ground level work, and I've been very fortunate to do ground level work with you from Iceland to Sicily to, of course, Polica to New York City, where we started in that ground level work, our work together is me as a chef working and convening and hosting dinners. But I watch the way that you create these boot camps to influence people using the SDGs as a backbone. But I would love to hear how those got created and why they're so important to you and to us. I mean, I know, but I would love to hear it in your words. Thank you so much. And today is the right day to talk about that because we empower climate shapers. First of all, climate shapers has not a specific age. So we try to design groups of people that come from different cultural backgrounds, different countries, different skills, but overall different ages. I think that we have been seeing this strong uh, crash between generations. You have uh, the boomers against Gen Z and people screaming in the square. What the hell is saying Greta Thunberg? Uh, oh, shall I listen to a little girl? Those have been the conversation that we have been hearing a lot in these years. But climate crisis, as well as the food system crisis, uh, are not something that belongs only to Gen Z. It's something that is actually a responsibility of the entire humanity. And so we designed our bootcamps to have different generations working together. Students together with CAO, policymakers together with a farmer. Diversity for us is uh, the most important value because we understand that uh, diversity can create uh, abundance, can create richness. And we need to learn that this is something uh, that is a kind of a dormant resource because we all are surrounded by diversity. But sometimes we choose the easiest way. We talk with the easiest person. We talk with the one closest to us. 
We never take the step to go and talk with the one who's different. We don't want to hear the voices that are different from our one. So this has been the first pillar. And then we said, okay, we need to inspire people to take action. So our boot camps are very much connected to the ground. We spend our entire life listening to teachers in our schools, in our universities, in a very passive way. And there is a kind of learning that you need to learn through probably this process. But when you have to take action, we think that there are three steps. The first one is inspire people. And you inspire people to take action only if you are able to surprise them, to take their mind in a level in which something is going to be fixed in their emotion, in their hypothalamus, and they live something that is going to change something in their life forever. Then we want to expose them to role models, people that are actually making impact every single day of their life. And sometimes we are looking for heroes far away from us. But we want to teach to people that we are surrounded by local heroes. And sometimes we give them for granted. But you were talking about George driving the bus. Maybe this George is a local hero. And he don't even think he is. And so we want to take our fellows to see how people are living. And we cherry pick those stories that can show that big impacts can be made also at the local level within communities. So inspiration and then aspiration. I can become like him. I can take his example from him. The last part is perspiration. We need to roll up our sleeve and work. So every bootcamp ends up with an hackathon. We need to make the change happen. I love it. I love it. And as you're talking about it, I'm so excited because we have two more coming up in the coming months together and they're so much fun. And just to reflect a couple of things you said before we go to our first break, the first one is we spend too much time talking to people like us who agree with us. And I think that this is honestly one of the top five issues that we face is that we no longer know how to disagree and to learn and to listen. And the second one is bringing local heroes consistently to the forefront. We focus on one or two people at the top of a chain and we forget who's actually on the ground doing the work. And so I love that about the boot camps and about the work that we both do. Uh, and I can't wait to talk more about it. Folks, you're on better with my incredible guest, Sarah Reversi. It is Earth Day, and we're figuring out what we can do together to help save this planet we love. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Better. In our first segment, we discussed a whole bunch of things, but really set the stage for my guest, Sarah Reversi, um, founder, president, big boss of the Future Food Institute. And also, I mean, the resume is so crazy. She sits on pretty much every single board or organization that is working on innovation and food technology, as well as what are we going to do next? And her work spans thought leadership all the way to ground level activism. And I think what I would love to dive into in this segment, Sarah, is what's the truth of what we're facing right now? You are in these rooms. We know what's happening for us. We hear all these different words thrown around. We just saw 1,000 scientists plus risk their jobs and their security to call out injustice, and it was barely a blip on the news. And so I think it's important for us to start with truth. Just like we said in the last segment, we don't like to talk to people who aren't like us, we also don't like to really get the full bad news, but that's where we start. That's how we make the news good is we have to have the truth. So in your experience for where we are right now as a planet, what are we facing? Wow. This is a great question. Um, at the last Davos, where I was uh, in 2019, no, sorry, 2020, right before the pandemic, everyone was talking about sustainability. Everyone in Davos was talking about SDGs. Every side event, every meeting was highlighting ESG, so new standards for investment, and sustainable development goals. Where's the truth? The truth is that basically also the finance world 
basically they are understanding that if we're not taking care of the planet, their investment won't be there tomorrow. And so I think that also in the big industries, if some years ago, when we started 10 years ago, the people that were caring about that, uh, were doing uh, for greenwashing strategies or because they strongly believed in that. If you think about Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's, there are great examples on that. Now, everyone is taking action because everyone understood that there's no other option. So I strongly believe uh, that, uh, of course, many people now are late and are feeling are late. So they need to take action and they don't know even how to start. And so sometimes they make wrong choices. But uh, now sustainability is part of the business strategies, is part of the investment strategies. And so our work is probably the work of the one who have to nudge the good choices uh, or anyway have to guide them, suggest them because they already want to invest in this field, but that they also need to be guided to invest in the proper way and in the proper actions. Why I'm telling you that? Because anyway, there are a lot of... Um, confusions and misunderstanding when we're talking about sustainability. If you only think from the consumer's perspective, and I give you a very simple example, I was talking with one of the biggest producers of milk and they were telling me, Sara, we have a problem because uh, when you do the survey and you ask your consumer if they prefer to buy your milk in a, a glass bottle, compared to a plastic bottle, everyone choose glass because they th think that glass is clean and is more sustainable. But they don't know at all what's the carbon footprint of shipping glass around the world. And overall, plastic has a much easier way of, uh, say, recycling in uh, their municipalities, maybe instead of glass. So... There are tons of uh, complexities behind choices and behind the food system and behind sustainability. I think we did a strong mistake until now, all of us. Everyone that was involved in communication did many mistakes because we oversimplified the message. Every message, all the messages. Tweet, 140 characters to say everything. Journalist, in a title, I want to know everything that I can read inside the article. And we are growing dumb consumers because they only read the first sentence. And no one has the stimulus to go deep and to understand which are the complexities and the related causes that are, anyway, making our impact even uh, more terrible. And so sometimes I think I'm doing the right choice, but... I don't know that actually I'm consuming much more and my impact is even tougher and bad. So I don't know. I think that we need to work a lot on that. And in those rooms, we need to start to think about how we are communicating, crafting the messages in a more consistent way. And we need to do the truth. We need to be accountable because now no one can lie anymore. There are no options. Absolutely agreed. And I'm, I'm thinking why I'm smiling so big on this side. First of all, to, to reflect what was said there, I love that you centered the capitalism structure, right? We know that money makes the world go round, that money makes it all move. We hate that that's true, but it's true. So we're not designing for utopia that we wish was true. We're designing for what's actually happening today, tomorrow, and to change the system. Do we ultimately hope that within three generations that's not the case? We do. Of course we do. It's what we're shooting for. But we don't have three generations to save the planet or save us on the planet, rather. The planet will regenerate itself. But to save human life and the life of all other living beings on this planet. And so knowing that those influence moments within corporations who – in large, as you said, have started to say they want to do the right thing. Do I think their hands are getting forced? Of course I do. But that doesn't matter if they're open to doing the right thing. And why I'm smiling is I remember you essentially smuggling me into a talk at the G20 last year and then asking me to speak. And I centered indigeneity, poverty, where we were, and all of those things. And I just, I love you and honor you for allowing me to have 
space in those rooms amongst business people. The G20 is a business conference only. There is no activists there. I mean, they shut the whole city down that you and I were in. There was literally nobody allowed in the city. It was so crazy. And to know that you are consistently fighting to get in those rooms and to get your people in those rooms just gives me such great hope. This isn't a passive conversation, right? It's not a Sarah goes when she's asked to consult to these. No, not at all. She's kicking doors in, literally at all the most important conferences from Davos to World Economic Forum to the G20. And because of her expertise and her brilliance is being asked also to speak in those moments, but it's not passive. So the amount of work that you put in that I've witnessed you put in um, is for all of us. And so on this Earth Day, here's me thanking you for fighting for all of us and our futures and the futures of your two beautiful boys who I was very excited to have lunch with in New York a couple of days ago um, and everybody else's children. It's, it's critically important. So we're going to go to break here again in a second. But before we do, uh, we've got a couple more minutes. I want to also think about, you know, what are the top SDGs that the and I know this is a brief amount of time to jump in, but if I could center myself as an urban dweller, what are the top SDGs that I'm focused on as a person who lives in an apartment, who you know has a car that's not eco yet, what are the SDGs that I should focus on and what are a couple of moves that I can make? The 17, the last one, because it's embedding everyone and everything and every topic, every priority, partnership for the goals. We can, all, can, can go anywhere by ourselves. And you were saying, I'm fighting. I'm never fighting alone. I am always surrounded by our ecosystem. And we need to start to think and act as an ecosystem because we have been moving too much as an ecosystem. And so this is the thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you just say ecosystem instead of ecosystem? Because I've never heard you say that before. And I got chills. As an, an ecosystem where you have the man on the top of the pyramid that decided for the life of everyone else, we need to act as members of an ecosystem where I'm bringing with me my ecosystem, my ecosystem, natural ecosystem, my friends, my community, my people. That's exactly right. And so 17 is, of course, strengthen the means of implementation and revitalize the global partnership for sustainable development. You skip all of that. It is us together. How do we work together? So I love that you didn't even skip a beat. You just said it's 17. Yeah, it is. It's exactly what it is. And of course, our work together is about forging those relationships and partnerships across all socioeconomic backgrounds, all backgrounds, period, and understanding um, how we fix it all. And, you know, it is fixable. That part we know. Folks, you were on better. I am getting more excited by the moment <laughs> and know that every conversation that I have with Sarah is exactly like this. Uh, and I'm so excited to share her wisdom and brilliance with you on Earth Day. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Better. We're here with my guest and dear, dear friend, Sarah Reversi. And I'm still stuck on ecosystem versus ecosystem. I'm such a huge fan. We, right after we said that we oversimplify things, that's a beautifully eloquent simplification. It truly is like the patriarchy, misogyny, and capitalism all wrapped into one easy switch right there. And why we're in the trouble that we're in for certain. Um, but I think you also shared with us that they, we need to have a lot of grace right? The grace for we all got it wrong. It wasn't some folks, like we all got it wrong. We all bought in. We're all trying to figure it out. And now we know the answers and there's no more excuses. So I think we've talked a lot about systems. I think we've talked a lot about, you know, what is wrong and what we can work on. But what I would love to spend a little bit of time on um, is what's it like and what has it been like knowing that that ego system exists to be a woman at the forefront of this work, because I've been in rooms with you. I am a white presenting male, and I know what that is like, and I know where the power dynamics lie, um, and I've watched you. But what's it like for you, and what's it been like for you since the start of your career? I feel I always have been, I've been so lucky, because I grew up in an ecosystem where, say, 
I had great examples of women working and doing and creating prosperity, but in uh, an harmonious balance uh, with uh, their ecosystem. So my dad, my brothers and my friends. So I feel I'm very, 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 very lucky. And this is probably the reason why I'm also committed a lot on that topic, because I see that this is not um, the same everywhere in the planet. So we are working a lot on the topic of inclusion, equality, because I see that this for me was, uh, say, the, the, one of the most important ingredients. And as you know, I started my business uh, that is not my business, is our business together with my husband that was my best friend when we were in high school. And we always share projects and initiatives with other partners, other friends, other companions. And I have been so lucky because I always um, was surrounded by incredible men and we strongly believe, uh, again, in diversity and finding the balance. And you need to have all those different sensibilities and perspective. So has not been so hard for me, but just because I was not alone and I was surrounded by incredible friends, incredible people, incredible partners. And so I, I don't want to tell you fights because for me it was an easy highway, I would say. Nothing is easy because you have to build your, your ecosystem and you have to choose your friends. But then I think that this is the starting point. And I think that everyone can work to design its own ecosystem in this way. And sometimes I've been also working with people that were not like-minded but they changed their approach, seeing that this choice was creating prosperity. And so I also have shareholders and partners that were coming from very men-centric uh, ecosystems, men-centric businesses, big giant companies, um, that at the end they understood that working with a diverse environment, uh, with youth, with a lot of women, with people coming from different countries, East and West together. Oh, there were pretty funky environment and there were interesting things coming out from there and there were values. And so I think we, we should all design this kind of environments and make sure we bring uh, the highest diversity uh, around us. And I tell you that because I also understood the, that uh, creating environments that are only women-centric are not enough, are not good. And I'm working because I have two sons and I see them now struggling because, uh, of course, we need now to work to create the balance and to create the balance. Now, if you are a girl, you have more advantages compared to a boy. And so sometimes... Uh, they are not uh, getting their place or doing this kind of experience because uh, you need to preserve the spot for a girl. And so I'm very much focused on creating equality because I think that we need to reach this point. And I think that, yeah, the society need to pass through this journey now. But at some point, we need to work all to create inclusion and equality for all men, women, from every part of the planet. And everybody else, no matter what they are defining as. Exactly. Everybody else, everybody else. Behind uh, our bar, you have the planet. And you have right. every kind of uh, humans represented. And this is yes. how we intend to, to work. Definitely. And I, so the scuderia that uh, Sarah is referencing is a active food lab in Bologna in Italy. And also of interest, the sound is a tiny bit echoey to the listeners at home because Sara is literally in Naples at the Minister of Agriculture's office. And I was like, we have to get you on for Earth Day. This has to happen. And so she flew in from New York like yesterday and has joined us in this moment. So thank you for obviously making the time and taking the time for this incredibly important discussion. And, you know, your lens is just so interesting because a lot of the lenses that we have are Western. 
you know, they really are Americanized to a place, whether we're in Canada, whether we're in America, whether we're in some of the South Americas, even there's a Western lens that is, this is best practice and this is how we reflect the world. But my experience with you, why I wanted you to share that specifically is all of the things that we prioritize as oppression in the Western world aren't necessarily true everywhere else in the world. They don't necessarily have that space. And particularly in the time that I've spent in ancient cities with you, like Polica, our home in Italy, at the, in and around the 2,400 folks there who I believe the average age is like 95. Everybody's a million years old and living a very different life. If I was to say that these particular things are of an issue to us, they would say that's not an issue to us. You know, there are different lenses around the world and there are different ways of approaching things. And what we've learned, particularly in these areas, is with just natural community building, natural inclusion, people finding and doing exactly what they love, respecting the food systems because they have for thousands of years. It's the planet that we all aspire to. It already existed. We got lost. It's, it's still there. In many parts of the world, it's still there. The original peoples still live this way. And so to, to look at those things, we get these, these different lenses instead of centering just the aggressive parts. Uh, so thank you for that, that, all of that. And when we come back, I want to dig even deeper into how do you go from hanging out with your best friend, Andrea, to being married forever and having beautiful children, to being the one who's kicking in the doors of all of these places. What happens for Sarah to take her there and to take us there and to me literally there? Uh, and you and I have never had this conversation. So when we come back on Better, um, Sarah's going to take us there. I hope she will. We're going to find out. Um, again, you are on Better uh, with Sarah Reversi. It is Earth Day, and uh, we are very fortunate to have her with us. Keep it locked. on better it is earth day and as sarah said at the top of our show it is our third earth day together celebrating which is very special to me and i think about all of the different things that we've done together in the last three years it's it's actually crazy i've i've followed you all over the planet you know and it began it began with us um bringing together and speaking on food waste uh in bushwick new york Right after presenting at the United Nations, we did a dinner together, a dinner, finger quotations heavy here, in a maker space with one induction burner and a rented barbecue for 100 UN delegates out of food waste. And we did multiple courses, right? Literal garbage. And we fed everybody garbage, uh, what would be known as, and it was delicious. Um, and that was it for us. You and I were then attached at the hip and we've been all over the planet and back together and this part of the conversation, I don't know how you come to this work. You know my story backwards and forwards because you've had me tell it a hundred times. But how does Sarah go from really excited about food general to being one of the single greatest leaders in climate justice and change? What happens for you? As you know, I always have been an entrepreneur together with Andrea since we were kids. We were already entrepreneurs doing things. And when I joined for the first time the G20, was the G20 in Russia, 2012, uh, I was joining different working groups and task forces. And for the first time, I was exposed to tons of challenges. And I was there wearing my hat of being a food entrepreneur, joining this task force, giving recommendation and so on. But I actually came back home super frustrated. Because I understood that we were not doing everything good and that any responsibility of being an entrepreneur in the food system was connected to something that could make people sick, the earth sick, uh, uh, damage the planet and so on. And so at that point, I started uh, investigating and started thinking, oh, maybe we can innovate something. I come from Bologna. You know, Bologna, Bolognese sauce and Bologna people, people from my region are all focused on food. And every entrepreneur I was talking with was telling me, oh, we, we should not innovate. Innovation is something dangerous. We need to protect our traditions. And so I said, oh, maybe there's something we should do because uh, 
we need to innovate the system. We need to make it more sustainable, more equitable. We need to change the recipe of the food we are selling because we are making the planet sick. And I started watching who was making innovation happen. And there was something uh, coming out from Silicon Valley that was named like the Food Tech Valley or in Wageningen in the Netherlands, the first investment in food tech, 2012. And I reached out to the Institute for the Future, Team West, our friend Team West. I joined one of the food hackathons. I met Michael Bakker, vice president of Google nowadays and head of the Google Food Lab. And I started to connect the dots and I created the Future Food Institute not alone. So I was just probably the most curious, being a woman, quite asking and going and exploring. And I started to connect the dots. And together with Matteo Vignoli, who's the co-founder of Future Food, with my husband, Andrea, with some other friends, we created Future Food. Not creating a startup, not saying we have the solution, but saying, hey, who's want to investigate with us to ask and understand what are the solution? And we created an ecosystem. This means that it's been a nightmare for 10 years and it's going to be probably forever a nightmare because you talk with investors and they say, oh, I want to scale up what you want to scale up. We are an ecosystem. So yeah. cooperative of farmers and nonprofit organization, a foundation, an academy, three B Corps, an ecosystem working together. So it's a nightmare because people is fascinated about what we have been creating, but we created something for the good of our community. Mm. Not to, let's say, scale up, replicate uh, and sell to the next venture fund. So this, of course, has been uh, tough because uh, people who want to create an ecosystem need to think that ecosystems are alive only if people are feeding the ecosystem. So yes. You need to trust in gratitude, trust in the golden rule and be generous. Because if you give value in advance, I strongly believe that uh, something good is going to come back. I cannot measure it now, but something good sure. is going to come back. Well, you don't have to just believe it because you get to witness it every day. You know, you yeah. get to see that when we get to the – and our stories are, are very, very similar in that space where we run a B Corp, a nonprofit, an LLC. You know, we have every different tool is what I say in the toolbox to work with every partner in our ecosystem. So when you work with a large corporate, they may not want to make a donation to the charitable entity to do the work. They may want you to be part of the marketing budget because it's easier to get approved. It might be that case. So they work with the LLC who then donates to the nonprofit or the charity. And people get confused about this stuff and it's scary because they're just like, wait a second. If you're doing this work, shouldn't it just be X? You know, like If the systems of capitalism at play would allow that, then no problem. We would. But we've created these ecosystems specifically to make sure that we can do as much work as possible because we start to see the problems and we know that we, we don't have to scale up. We need to scale out. And there is something that I think it's part of our role, my role, your role, the people like us. Now we need to enable our ecosystem to make impact. And this has been... Uh, what you and I we have been focused on in the last decades. I never framed how much we were able to create empowering others. And this is actually my, my main goal. So enable the entire ecosystem to do good, to become themselves role models and become themselves active players. And this is the reason why you have been creating your ecosystem, I'm creating my ecosystem, but overall, we are enabling others. I'm thinking about the Food for Climate League. It's not mm. our thing. But of course, when Eve through Paul came to me with this idea, I said, yes, friends, I'm going to help you. And so the Future Food Institute, since day one, has been cheering for this group. And we're working yes. with the, this group of people that is amazing and of course, we are learning from them, but they are, of course, uh, surrounded by an ecosystem that has been helping for the startup. But now is part of a group that are all working on the same direction. Totally. And so here's the, the problem that we face with all of this is it's, it's double-sided, right? We say we don't want too much duplicity because then it thins everything out. But we also want as many people in the work as possible and people work harder in their own org sometimes towards the same cause. 
which is why the ecosystem and why 17 is so important. It's like, how do we decenter ourselves and center the issues and the problems to say, I can carry this part of the bucket of water. I need you to carry this part. Or you tell me what I need to do in this particular relationship. So the way that I show up for you and for the Future Food Institute is very different than one of my five organizations and how I show up or how I show up for Eve or how Eve shows up for you or how Danielle Gould shows up or Tim. We all are moving around in this ecosystem to say, I can be of most service to you in this way in Iceland, or you can be of most service to me of this way in New York City. And it's not the, my organization has to be at the forefront of this thing because that makes me, it justifies me. And we get lost in this, that if we're not the center, if people aren't looking at us as the center of whatever this is, then we are not valuable. And it's this really messed up part. So what you've said there also is we are trying to exponentially mentor and enable as many people with the tools, the support, the love that we can. And when we initially launched the token project, people were launching it all over the place. And folks were like, did you help? I was like, help what? It's a plastic coin that's exchangeable for a sandwich. This is not mine. (laughs) It was around long before me. It's so crazy. But people are so stuck on ownership. They're like, this has to be mine. Therefore, I need to be the hero of this story. And that's where we get stuck. So I love everything that you said there. Um, And I also feel like we didn't get to dig into something else that I want to. So we're going to. If you're listening to us on the radio, please give my guests, our Reverse, a huge round of applause in your homes, in your cars, in your doctor's office, at the bodega, for joining us on Earth Day and sharing her time, her wisdom, and her heart. Um, I love you. Thank you for being with us. I love you too. And if you are tuned into the podcast, we're going to dig deeper. If you're not tuned into it right now or you're on the radio, wherever you consume podcasts, make sure to always catch these extra innings. This has been better. I'm your host, Mark Brand, and boy, do I love this job. So, Sarah, I want to know, and this is a very deeply personal question, because you and I were on a boat off of Iceland, probably 45 minutes off the Western Fjords, together um, with a group of climate shapers, quote unquote, from all over the world, from literally all over the world, from Rio, from France, from everywhere. And I was at the front of that boat with the captain, and we were going to look at the glacier, right? We were on our way to look at the glacier, and right, the what's left of the glacier. And that gentleman was 76 years old. And he said, when I was a boy and I would come out here, the glacier, and he pointed as far as my eye could see, started over here, but is now here. Now, I, for folks, it's like a 70 to 80% reduction in this gigantic glacier field. And we know that ice is melting at exponential rates, that fires are burning out of control, that forest management has never taken into account indigenous practices. We know that's the tip of literal iceberg. But there's so many other things, and climate fear is at an all-time high. And when we get overstimulated, we shut down. How does Sarah not shut down in the face of all of these things? Because we're looking at them every day. How do? What are your practices? How do you stay safe mentally, physically, and keep fighting, knowing what we're fighting against? Sharing, involving others, taking action. I know that, of course, we, we won't stay on this planet uh, forever, but at least uh, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing uh, is going to be a plus uh, and not a minus, that I'm not extracting from where I'm living, but I'm trying to give uh, something back because I feel I'm super lucky. And I want to share this with the entire ecosystem. And so this is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm just very curious and I want to learn every single day what I can do to be, say, part of the game in a positive way, empowering others, enabling the entire ecosystem to act. And if we want to see the change, we must be the change. And this is uh, what I strongly believe. And now everything, thanks to the pandemic, because I'm saying thanks to the pandemic, we understood that this is time to make it happen. This is the time to make it happen. So uh, we have no more options. Everything has been changed. We need different kind of governances. We need decentralization everywhere. We need everyone to be accountable. We need uh, to share responsibility 
but also to, to share uh, values, to share experiences, to share everything we have around. And you were pointing uh, something interesting. We don't know, no, we don't need to own anymore. We need access. We need to give access to everyone, to things, to learnings, uh, and to what is surrounding us. So there are so many topics that are very fascinating now. And I think that we need to train ourselves to act in a more systemic way. And we need to create spaces for people to practice in a systemic way. That this is something that never happened. Also in incubator, accelerator, we always have seen in the last 10 years, huge investment done in a vertical way because there's a direction to follow. And so future of proteins, let's go for pure future of proteins. And we are just investing <laughs> in faking the planet without pointing what's the goal. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They are invested in faking the planet. Wow. No, I feel, yeah. Definitely, definitely. I've just never heard you say it that way before. That's so, so many good quotables today. Please continue. What does that mean? Pull it apart for us. We all have been, um, and I'm saying this, I'm, I'm working with all of those startups and I, I see the positive things so let's find a way to make our food choices more sustainable and healthier. Yes. But at the end, we need to be very much focused on what's the goal. We need to protect biodiversity. We know how much soil, water, air, oceans, forests are crucial. And so sometimes we are narrowing our focus just on the solution and not on what is needed for the planet, because at the end, there are some choices that, yes, um, are good. You're living in the desert, you can produce protein in a sustainable way, okay. But if you're living in a place where you can forage, where you can farm, where you can grow animals that are free, this is something that is crazy, because maybe you are shipping your fake egg, fake meat, fake milk, fake fish, fake everything, from the other side of the world, and you're thinking you're taking your sustainable choice, eating something that is uh, labeled as sustainable, but at the end, maybe it's not the most sustainable choice. So mm. I'm just inviting people to be focused, uh, not just on the solution, but on what's the problem. And yeah. then we find the good solutions. And, and still, investment uh, are going in the pop solutions and yeah. we need systemic uh, solutions not uh, hyper narrowed silo solution and this is what we need now i think that 10 years ago if you see the seeds of disruption map designed by the institute for the future and that we have been developing within our food innovation program 10 years ago I was opening this map together with Daniel Gold and Tim West three weeks ago in San Francisco. And the map was uh, stating 2013, 2023. So we were working on that on 2012. And the solutions and the technologies highlighted were the one in which we are still investing. If you talk with investors, they're still investing in the same things. Now, please, we need also different kind of investment in different kind of field with a different kind of mindset. We need systemic solutions. And probably the entire food system is going to change its role because when you hear the statement of Nestle, of Danone, of Unilever, those giant companies that want to do something good, they say, okay, by 2050, we are going to buy the majority of our procurement from regenerative farming. Yes, I say yes. But right. then... I also start to think about uh, what does it mean for them? Because maybe they won't be food producers anymore. They need to become ecosystem builders. Or anyway, you know, what does regenerative farm mean? So right. starting from the crops and not from the marketing, starting yes. from the soil and not from other perspectives. So we need to train humanity into a regenerative business uh, practices and regenerative mindset and regenerative models 
everywhere, not just in agriculture. And we go back to circularity because this is circularity. Yes. Well, going back to where we were is the, is the other part. So I love this. And just in a quick distillation, there is room for innovation. But if the innovation starts to detract from our actual saving of our soils, of our oceans, of our forests, if it's like, hey, we can now print meat, it's like, cool, but we're all going to be dead before we get a chance to eat it. So it, that's not going to be helpful for us. While it's cool, and like you're saying, there is a time and a place for these innovations. I mean, we 3D printed pancakes at one of our dinners. It was super fun, and it showed some innovative stuff, right? But ultimately, we got to put our eggs back in the basket of what does it look like? And we've learned so many things. We have to be open to the things of you saying that those larger companies are then making statements based on regenerative agriculture. And we know for an absolute fact, that's only because that's a, a hot topic right now, right? It's like, cool. And then saying, but what does that mean in 30 years? So we've been asking the wrong questions for so long to justify the continued extraction and exploitation. We've just been saying, Hey, I can hitch my wagon to this because this is best practices. Cause 25 people in a room told me it was, but we're also not asking the right people, taking it all the way back to the boot camps and to the, the organizational stuff that we put together. Who are you asking? Are you asking a scientist? Or are you asking, you know, 25th generation indigenous person from that land? Are you asking them both? Because then it becomes interesting. But you can't just ask to justify your means. You can't ask just to prove it out, right? To prove your assumptions. And this is what we talk about in design thinking all the time is, what assumption are you trying to prove versus what are you open to understanding and learning? And we get ourselves so caught up in, in the toxicity of, I need to, this to be right. Otherwise, my KPIs are screwed and my job is on the line. Well, the entire future of humanity is on the line. Which one's more important? John from accounting? You know, like, what are we trying to figure out here? So I love all this discussion. And it can be both. It has to be both. Yes. And I have just one last thing that I want to add. Um, we've been struggling in this world, being very attracted by all of those solutions for many years. When the pandemic hit, I, I understood that I, I was feeling the need of creating a place where I could practice all of that. And we found out our place. And as you know, we opened up this incredible campus in Polica that is one of the emblematic communities of Mediterranean diet, but the cradle of the thinking behind that. So in the middle of the Mediterranean, where 2,500 years ago, there were already the godfather of SDGs because the Greek philosophers, Parmenid and Zeno, were already debating about this need of balance between the health of people and the health of the planet and the health of the community creating all, let's say, our principles. So over there, we had so many things in the histories that makes this place a magical place that is also holding one third of the biodiversity you can find in the entire Mediterranean and all over Europe. Why? Not because they are cool and all people coming saying, oh, you are so lucky. No, we are not lucky at all because the, the biodiversity that you find there is by design like that. Because for centuries, there were farmers farming regenerative and being regenerative in everything they're doing. And so, of course, is a place that has an incredible number of biodiversities, marine reserve and so on. But what we are developing now is a campus that is um, approaching all of those issues uh, from the perspective of integral ecology. Integral ecology is forcing you to approach this issue from six different lenses, the political action, the economical perspective, and then you have human and social, so the health of humans and how people are living together. So all the tools for our community to live well together, plus the cultural perspective that is often missed and the environmental perspective. And around that, we have been combining all the SDGs, working with the public institutions, because we need to foster public and private cooperation. We need to learn how to work together and 
to make tangible things. And the answer is, uh, in a tangible way, in the two years of the global pandemic, we have been sharing uh, the 24-hour stage. Uh, last year, we had 32 ministers of agriculture connected, uh, 24-hour, 140 speakers, non-stop, amazing. Two years of pandemic, done. I have done with that. This year, you know how I'm celebrating today. We run a community hackathon where we have to design spaces for the kids of the community and where the kids are designing close by their spaces together with the community, with the mayor involved, with the farmers involved, with the community taking responsibility and taking action. And this is very simple things. There are no ministers involved, no, but there are hundreds of amazing kids and I rather prefer to inspire them and make them amazing people acting for the planet and for their communities tomorrow. Yes, all of that. And I'm just like my mind cameras running through all of the different things and all of the different people that you had speak during the pandemic and hold that space and then moving back into what is most important, which is it's, it's time. So Sarah just showed me a thing called Be the Change, and I'm going to tell this story. We're going to tell the story as it close. So Sarah invited me to come to Pollock and to paint the picture for you folks. Um, it is in Cilento, so it's on the southern, southern western coast uh, of Italy. And it's incredibly picturesque. You know, you drive through and the water starts to turn to azure blue and it's little market stands and it's incredibly arid land and there's wineries and the whole thing. Lots of tomatoes growing, lots of fresh everything growing. The fish that are eaten there are line caught as they've been, sorry, and net caught like they have been for generation after generation. And the dinners that we did were very specifically based on the Mediterranean diet to show people this is how amazing food can be based on not a hundred kilometer, essentially on 500 meters to one kilometer, you know, like this is where you can eat in this way. That's incredibly healthy for you. And when you look at the hundred year olds sipping espresso and drinking wine every day on this diet who are happy and healthy and sharp, you know, it works. It's not a maybe, but when I first arrived there, we met with the now mayor and there's a giant banner when I arrived and it was on the side of a building. And I was like, who is this banner of that we're staring at in this picturesque town? And Sara was like, that's Angelo Vassallo. And I was like, Angelo Vassallo, why does that name sound familiar? And she said, well, you may have seen it on the castle because the castle is also dedicated to him. And I was like, well, what's his story? And when we talk about one person making change, this is you know, one of the center points or North Stars for all of this kind of work, which is Angelo was a fisherman off the coast there, and the mafia had essentially destroyed the waterway around there, had destroyed it and made it impossible for these folks who are making their living in the water to do the fishing that they want to do and to feed their families and look after it. And so he ran for mayor and got everybody together and was successful in that and fought the mafia. And I say that with all sincerity, fought that region's mafia and won and cleaned up that area. It is now a UNESCO heritage site. It's now a spot of aspiration for what can be done from becoming one of the most polluted areas on the planet in the ocean to one of the most pristine. I've swam in it. I've fished in it multiple times. It is stunning. It is beautiful. The people are so proud. In that, in 2010, he was murdered. Five bullets through his car and killed him for standing up to the police who did not help him. And there's a quote that he said, which was, he who remains silent is an accomplice. He who remains silent is an accomplice. And I have adored that. I got chills all over my body right now. Since I dug into the story, seeing him on like a four-story building in Polica and spending so many times in the space, in the, in the tower bedroom, um, in the space where we work together there, it matters. And one person matters. And the way that they stand up and what they believe in has influenced the entire Mediterranean diet, the way we look at it, the entire UNESCO ecosystem from one man standing up and saying, I'm going to do this and fight because it matters. And he ultimately gave his life. But there's many, many, many examples like this that we need to draw to. And on Earth Day, I just wanted to make sure that we said his name. Um, because without him, it's a very different system for us in Polica, no? 100%. Absolutely. And thank you for highlighting this. Because for sure, he is a great example for all of us. Very much so. Very much so. And Sarah... 
thank you again for spending time with us. I know that your calendar is insane and for irking out this 90 minutes with us uh, and, and spending it on a beautiful Earth Day and such an honor to to spend a third one with you. You know, we got 30 or 40 more together. You're stuck with me. That's how this of works. Of course, of course. <laughs> and I will see you in a few short weeks back in Italy to, to get this work done. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you for all the ones that spent those 90 minutes with us uh, and you are all invited to connect, to be part of the change, to come and visit us. And I tell to everyone, come and see. And then you will see that there's so much to do and so much we can do together. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mark Brand, for everything you're doing. Yeah, love you very much. It's my honor and pleasure and I will speak to you soon. You've been on better. Uh, I am psyched up. I don't know. I'm, I'm over here vibrating and I wasn't feeling well when we started the conversation. So again, love you. Thank you. And we'll speak soon.